What happens when a Catholic deacon matches wits with a Catholic radio show host? You get a marriage made in heaven. They may not always agree, but they're always faithful. It's the Akins with their view from the pew on Modern Day Radio. And welcome to this episode of View from the Pew. I am your host, Brenda Aiken. And joining me is the man who is getting very excited because his in-laws are coming to visit the good deacon, Scott Aiken. 32 years of marriage and three years of dating prior to that, I have come to a great place of loving your mother unconditionally. My mother was very, very eager to get you on her side. And in fact, I think that there were times that she really liked spending time with you rather than me. Oh, you know, as as I was dating you and I was working, your mom would make me meals that were just fabulous. And I would love going over to the house and, and eating before I went to work because I worked a graveyard shift uh, stocking groceries and... I was always going to be hungry before I go do that. And your mom was always giving me food to eat. So yeah, that began our relationship of, of uh, son-in-law, mother loving relationship. And I love your mom. I love your dad. Grateful oh, to have him. It, it is a fun time when they get to come visit and no doubt she will be making some of her great meals. The reason why they are coming up, which is even more momentous of an occasion is that our third daughter is graduating from high school. And what is amazing is you think about your kids and you think, oh, it'll be a miracle if you get through this. Well, there was a time in her educational career when she was young, I really had a lot of concern for her. And maybe you're a parent like me, because for her, learning came very difficult to her. We had her, in fact, tested to see if there was some type of a learning adjustment that needed to be made because she was definitely not reading up to the same level as the peers in her classroom at St. Joe's and her teachers were working with her and we had tutors with her. And I really thought, you know, what is this poor kid going to be able to do if we can't get over whatever stumbling box we're facing right now? Because they seemed insurmountable. You know, the miracle that I think of in reflection of what you just described is how the community stepped forward. And yes, the, the teachers came forward and and her friends uh, gave her support. But we had a, a neighbor who took our kids under her wing to help them to teach them how to read. And she would just do that of her own free time and come over and spend hours reading with the kids, helping them to, to learn. And it was, it was that community connection that really, I think, gave uh, our daughter the confidence that she needed that, Hey, I can read, I can do this. Right. And once she got that clicked on, then her left-handed mindedness plugged in and has plugged in phenomenally ever since then. What really was a turning point too. And again, you, you, it's amazing how God makes good of so many situations. For her, it definitely was set off when she had an appendix issue. It actually burst and she was a very sick little girl. She ended up at Children's Hospital. She had to undergo an operation, but it seemed right at that point, that's when God said, I will make good of this. And now she's graduating from high school, a certified nurse's assistant, She's going to St. Martin's University in the fall into their nursing program. Not only is she flourishing, but God has blessed her abundantly. And all of that comes from a, a stacking that we can look at now of miracle upon miracle 
that took place in her life and that miracle of having that community help for her reading when she got that uh, appendix, appendicitis burst, uh, she was it, it was life-threatening. And we prayed at the Divine Mercy Hour for the operation to go smoothly, and it went tremendously. And we prayed at the chapel for her recovery, and her recovery took place. And that chapel was St. Elizabeth of Hungary. And that is now our daughter's patron saint. Looking at those, again, stackable miracles— God makes good of it, and not just once, not just twice, but multiple times makes good of that, what would otherwise be potentially a tragic situation. So if you're thinking for your own children, it's going to take a miracle, yes, it very well may, and there's no reason why you would not expect to God act in such a way, and that is going to bring us up to today's show because we've got a great one ahead for you. Coming up, I have an opportunity to speak with Adam Bly. He has a new book out. It's called The Catholic Guide to Miracles, Separating the Authentic from the Counterfeit. So I'm really looking forward to that. And then following that, we'll talk to you a bit about how do you identify miracles and how do you grow in your faith by recognizing those miracles, not only in your life, but in others? So we got a great show ahead for you on this week's View from the Pew. Staring at the blank page before you Open up the dirty window Let the sun illuminate the words that you could not find Reaching for something in the distance So close you can The 18th century skeptic philosopher David Hume argued the wise man should never believe in miracles because the evidence for what occurs over and over, the regular, always outweighs evidence for what does not, the rare. But is Hume right? Well, no, and here are some reasons why. First, it's not true evidence for uniform experience always outweighs evidence for what is rare. For example, have you experienced any big bangs lately? My guess is no. Does that mean we should reject the Big Bang? Of course not. Second, Hume's principle nullifies science itself. How could scientists ever reasonably use new findings to update their understanding of the universe if it's unreasonable to accept what contradicts our uniform experience? The answer is, they couldn't. So are miracles in and of themselves off limits for the wise, as Hume puts it? Absolutely not. I'm Carlo Broussard with a ready reason for Catholic Answers. Catholic.com. As you know, it has been a challenging year for many businesses and organizations in our community. That includes some of Mater Dei Radio's Leadership Circle members. These are loyal friends who support our faith-filled broadcasts through their financial generosity. To find a listing of our Leadership Circle members, please go to our website at materdayradio.com and click on the Get Involved menu. Your support of these members will be a great help to them and to this radio apostolate. God bless you. Family life can be hectic, but God can be found right in the middle of it. So take a moment for this week's View from the Pew. Do you believe that miracles happen today, or are they just stories of the past to explain occurrences? Well, that modern science can now prove otherwise. Well, in his new book, The Catholic Guide to Miracles, Adam Bly will not only share accounts of the miraculous in our time, you'll find out how miracles are validated by the church and why we should believe them. 
Adam is a church degreed expert in religious demonology and exorcism for the Diocese of Pittsburgh. And he's with me today to share more about his new book. Good morning, Adam. Thank you so much for your time today. Oh, good morning. No problem. It's nice to be here. Oh, this is a great subject about miracles and and do they really happen today? So I'm excited to talk to you about this great book. First, you say that science and modern medicine, it should actually increase our belief in miracles. How does that happen? And, and how does the church really go about proving something was a miracle? Well, uh, the church has long used medical miracles or healings as the primary type of miracle to validate somebody's sainthood. So along with the, you know, in the process of heading towards canonization, a number of miracles have to be identified. And healings are, in a sense, one of the most concrete miracles that you can get outside objective verification on. And so what the Church has done over the centuries is look for healings that happened when a person asked a potential saint to pray for them or intercede to God for them, and that healing has to be instantaneous, has to be complete, it has to be lasting, and it cannot be explainable by some treatment that's going on at the time. And so, you know, that kind of bar is, is quite high in terms of a, in terms of a miracle uh, being declared. And also, the Church doesn't just make this judgment herself, but relies on outside medical experts that have no you know, personal stake in the situation, that are able to give an objective professional opinion on the case. And then ultimately the Church will make a decision whether to accept that medical expert's testimony as adequate when combined with all the other facts of the case. And so, uh, in a sense, as medical science has progressed and general science has progressed down through the centuries, the miracles that are judged to be valid in a sense, are stronger and stronger over time, because we understand so much more about the body and healing uh, compared to in the past. Adam, I want to compare what you've just said about miracles to the idea of saints. Now, we know that anybody who is in heaven is a saint, but that through miracles, we know about particular named saints. Is that may perhaps maybe the same case with miracles, meaning that do miracles happen often in the world, but that just the major ones, the ones that we can trace and prove through the church are the ones that are recognized or maybe miracles not as common as we would think? Well, you know, I would have to say it's hard to know for sure the answer to that question. Certainly anecdotally, we've all had friends or heard stories or relatives that have prayed for somebody's healing and have reported, you know, what seems to be a miraculous abrupt healing or, you know, somebody that was pretty much a lost case medically and maybe even was sent home, you know, by the hospital to die and then suddenly had a complete healing. Um, you know, I've certainly run into a number of those type of cases. The big difference between those kind of miracles and the ones that we hear about that are validated by the church is that the ones validated by the church went through a rigorous multi-month or multi-year study that involved, you know, retaining experts to study the, the files, et cetera, et cetera, because they were being used to validate sainthood. 
And that scrutiny just doesn't happen on the many, many kind of anecdotal, you know, one might say a local miracle, not something that's going to be globally known. So it's hard to say for sure, but certainly just in my little lifetime, I've bumped into a number of priests who have been witness to what seem to be miracles of healing. And I think all of your listeners, uh, or most of them, have either heard of that, you know, connected with somebody they knew or somebody they know was there. Um, So I think God is very active. And the only difference is uh, when God's activity is, is there to validate a saint, it's just scrutinized more. But, you know, I think the graces are flowing into the world all the time. Oh, absolutely. Adam Bly joining me today. His new book is The Catholic Guide to Miracles, Separating the Authentic from the Counterfeit. Well, looking at that kind of rigorous ways that miracles are proven. So if we believe in those miracles, you say we can also believe they prove true apparitions of Mary. How does that happen? The connection of the two? Well, there's been many, many apparitions of Mary uh, down through the, you know, the 2000 plus years uh, since Christ was alive and she was alive on earth. Uh, You know, well more than 500 of them have been purported. Now, out of those, there's only been a small handful that have been approved by the Church, meaning everything was scrutinized, nothing was, you know, being communicated that was heretical or against the teaching of the Church. Uh, There was no problems with the visionaries involved in terms of mental illness being discovered or selfish motives, um, you know, political motives, whatever it might be. And in addition to not finding a problem there, uh, it's not that the Church looks for a miracle like Fatima, you know, when the sun moved in the sky and all the people saw it, the more than 10,000 people saw it. It's not that the Church looks for those to validate apparitions of Mary, uh, but they are, when they happen, if they're public, and it's very rare, uh, the Church does kind of celebrate those and doesn't really point to those as a validation, but points to those as an encouragement to faith and conversion. And then, you know, ultimately the conversion of people that go to those sites because something unusual happened there. Adam, you are a church-decreed expert in religious demonology and exorcism. You're part of the Diocese of Pittsburgh. So I'd like to ask this question of you, please. Does the devil use or fool us with miracles in order to sow division or discord or even disbelief? Uh, Sometimes, for sure. So, you know, part of that question we have to to address right away, though. Um, The devil can't do miracles. So miracles are, by definition, something that God does, and there's something that's what's called supernatural, and, and that would mean above nature, super meaning above. And the only thing that is above nature is God, the Creator. And so the activity of God can be above nature. The devil is a creature. He uh, was created by God along with everything else. And his activity is what's called as praetor natural, P-R-A-E-T-E-R natural. And that means beside nature. So it's not the normal day-to-day nature that we see, but it's not something that's above nature and God does. So all the devil can do is a sham of a miracle. Um, it's not an actual healing. He can't make anything appear. 
uh, he can't actually heal anything. He can mask the symptoms of something temporarily by affecting our nervous systems. He could even take away a false illness that he's creating in a person if that person has fallen to him, if that person has dabbled in black magic, witchcraft, that type of thing, and they're entangled with the demonic and they have a physical um, malady, he can lift that, which makes it seem like a healing, but he's not actually healing anything. Um, now, yes, uh, to answer your question, if he were to do these tricks, it would be always ultimately to separate us from God. And so when there's like little kind of splinter cults that spring up around an individual with some private revelation in the church, uh, often there will be false healings or false miracles around that person that the devil does these tricks to make people think the person's legitimate in order to draw more people away from the gospel and the teaching of the church. So yes, that's always his ultimate goal. Adam Bly joining me today, talking about his new book, The Catholic Guide to Miracles, Separating the Authentic from the Counterfeit. Adam, I'd like to ask you, It's it, while it's a short question, I think that I'm setting you up for something quite a bit more complex, and that is, what is the purpose of a miracle? Meaning, we live in a fallen world. Suffering is a part of that world. Many of the faithful who go through difficulties, who are sick, who have diseases, we pray for miracles. Why are some answered and not all of them? And why would we look to a miracle as you know something good if you know that some people will get it and not all of us, or maybe not me specifically? What What do you say to that? Right. So you know, of course, first first off, I, I'm not God, and I, I can't ask God directly and get an answer to that. Uh, of course, we know that. There's an order to life that, given the fallen nature of um, creation from original sin, the world is tainted. We know that from Genesis that part of the fall, uh, part of the fall's effects were that we would get sick, age, and die, and that's that's part of the the kind of wounding of the world, wounding of all of creation through the fall. So basically, that is the order of creation at this point. Uh, we don't get everything that we ask for when we're looking for what might be called an exception to the normal course of things. And I think more importantly is it's not that God is sitting there kind of wringing his hands and, and looking at the world and seeing things are crumbling and falling apart and people are getting sick and he's surprised and it's against his will. It's part of his permissive will. He has to allow all of these things. He has to allow illness and death. He has to allow the activity of the devil. He's aware of that. And of course, he could uh, make an exception and take that burden away from a person, and he sometimes does. But it's often the natural course of their life to have whatever experiences he's allowed them to have, to hopefully repent, and then to join him, hopefully, through their judgment. Well, what is going to be available widely is your new book, The Catholic Guide to Miracles. Adam, it's coming out on the 25th of this month. Where are people going to be able to purchase a copy? Um, I certainly think the best place would be just to go to SophiaInstitute.com. You know, Sophia Institute Press is the publisher, uh, and they'll be able to get, get the books to people as quickly as possible. 
Oh, wonderful. I encourage all of our listeners to maybe even get on order at your local Catholic bookstores. You can pre-order through Sophia because there's a lot more that you are going to learn about Adam's new book. Adam, I sure appreciate your time today. Thank you so very much. Oh, thank you so much, Brenda. God bless you. God bless you, too. And that is Adam Bly, B-L-A-I, the name of the book, The Catholic Guide to Miracles, Separating the Authentic from the Counterfeit. I will be sure to add a link to where you can purchase a copy for yourself. And you're going to find the link on the podcast of this interview at materdayradio.com. Scott, it's a miracle. You hear that all of the time. And uh, sometimes it can be a little difficult to understand. I don't think we always recognize when true miracles happen, even within our own lives. And I think that's part of the the remembrance we have to have that we need to to test what we see in terms of faith. And and St. Paul exhorts us in in his letters to, to always test what you have, but in the testing, test it with God's eyes and ears and not yours. So it's, it's first being humble in prayer and then asking, was, is this a miracle that I need to be aware of? And is this leading me to a good and miracles lead to good fruits. And that's something that I think I certainly have been able to attest to in my years of, of my diaconate, but also uh, the many pilgrimages that I've been on and some with you that we've been able to see miracles happen that would otherwise remain hidden or just just put off to chance by many people today. But we don't see that as Catholics. If we live our faith deeply, we will see them not just as happenstance, but as ordained occurrences. There, you had an opportunity when your father was still alive to go with him on pilgrimage to Medjugorje. Uh, it was a difficult time because it was a trip that I think was your first trip to Europe. Uh, mm-hmm. It was a trip you were taking with your father, and it was a trip that I was not going on. There was just not the ability to have our children at their age and, and the way that finances work that I could go. It, it did hurt, and it took some time for me to get over. And yet, looking back, I can see how it was that it worked out exactly the way that it did. But the reason why I bring that up is because while you were there, one of the visionaries of Medjugorje talked about searching for miracles. We went to uh, during the month of October, and it was on October 2nd when Miriana would receive the words of Mary. At that particular time when she received that, she spoke first when she was recounting what happened. She spoke first her own words, and then spoke the words that Mary told her. And that was the first time in her 30 years of receiving these on a monthly basis. For 30 years, she's been receiving these uh, locutions of Mary, these these visions of Mary, these this apparition of Mary, and speaking the words that Mary said. But this time, she, she said something in front of that. And she said, you come here looking for a miracle, but you fail to see the miracle within yourself. And then she said what Mary told her. And it was so profound and it struck the core of these 5,000 people that we were gathered with to witness this. 
uh, so deep. It struck us so deeply because she's right. We came to Medjugorje in many ways, even those who are really strong in their faith. Um, but we came there to see a miracle. And isn't that what we hear in the Bible? People want to say, show me, Jesus. If you can do this, show it to me. Almost like Herod wanting to test that. Um, we have that tendency in our humanity to want to test God and say, show me a miracle. But what she said was so profound because that is so true. We fail to see the miracle within ourselves, which is placed there by our very being as uh, the creator created us to be. We are created to be miracles, miracles in the lives of others and to be witnesses of miracles within our own lives. You know, Scott, I am of the mindset that miracles happen all the time, that they happen and the church does not need to look into all of them because we don't even know that they have happened. We just presume, oh, Boy, that was just a lucky event. Near misses in car accidents, mm. things that go exactly as they planned. I think that oftentimes there is intervention. Prayers that God knew or our guardian angels knew that we were going to need those protections. And it just happened that way, even though we didn't ask for it. And we just presume, oh, well, that worked out just fine. I think there's more to it. I remember a parishioner that came up to me after Mass one day to share with me something that happened in his life, and I could see he was really trepidatious doing that. He was he was he was pensive. He didn't want to he didn't want to tell me, but then he couldn't help himself, and that was with regard to how he had survived. He and his wife a terrible accident just out towards uh, the Dalles, and their truck that they were driving in had veered, and he rolled off the embankment, and he said as we were rolling. He said, I felt, I felt enveloped by something. He said, it wasn't the airbags. It wasn't the car. Something had come in and enveloped them and protected them. And he said, we both walked away from that crash, both my wife and I. He said, I'm convinced that they were angels who came in. He said, it was a miracle that we walked away from that crash. And he was crying as he's telling me this. Now, I can't deny that man's reality. I have to think about it and discern it. And yet he's telling this with such conviction that the good fruit of it is he is a strong Catholic. He is a strong believer and a strong follower of Christ as an, as a consequence of that reality that somehow heaven entered into that moment of terror and protected he and his wife. It was beautiful. And we ask for that protection every day of our lives. Scott, will you please end us in a prayer? Absolutely. Lord Jesus, help us to slow down our minds, slow down our days to be aware of your presence, of the miracles that you place in our life, the small but necessary miracles of each and every day. Help us to trust in you always and rely on your mother and your earthly father, Joseph, during this year to give us strength to continue the journey and to be disciples as you lead us. We ask this in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. And that's going to do it for us this week. Please tune in next week as we share with you more stories about our faith, our family, and our view from the pew. God bless. Have a great week. You've been listening to View from the Pew, a weekly look at faith and family life from a Catholic perspective with Deacon Scott and Brenda Aiken. For more information on the Aikens and to listen to an archive of their previous shows, visit them online at moderndayradio.com slash pew. 
View from the Pew is produced at the studios of Modern Day Radio in Portland, Oregon.